With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the Talk of Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. Joined by Travis Ryder, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. The Talking Tide podcast available at Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer to download your podcast. We're live on YouTube and Facebook as well. The Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. Give us a follow there. You'll get instant links to all of our podcasting. And of course, we want to thank a couple of local sponsors, Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa and Heat Pizza Bar. We're going to be talking about more on them a little bit later in the program, though. Travis, we dive in uh, to this uh, Talking Tide national semifinal preview between the Crimson Tide and the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan, of course, comes in unbeaten and number one seeded by the CFP. Alabama comes in once beaten and seeded fourth. Uh, and, uh, coming to, I'm coming to you from the Sheridan Grand Los Angeles out here for Rose Bowl week, been here for a couple of days, looking forward to being here, uh, until Tuesday when, uh, the Tuscaloosa news contingent heads back and, uh, conceivably a quick turnaround too, because if Alabama knocks Michigan off, I think I'm going to have like one day at home and then, uh, the turnaround to Houston. So we'll see what happens, Travis. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe just uh, go straight to Houston. You know, it's kind of on the route and just uh, just stay out on the road. You know, you could go from the Viper Room there in Hollywood. We've got to keep you out of that Viper Room there on the Sunset Strip yeah. and then get you. I don't know. Is Gilly's still open? Remember Gilly's Country Western Bar of some Yeah. Note? In the uh, yeah. Houston area? Urban Cowboy for the old heads out there, you know. I've, I've seen Gillies from the outside, never been in there. I have, however, darkened the door at the Viper Room. Did that once many, uh, uh, many moons ago. Uh, uh-huh. I was actually, uh, it was 2009, I believe, uh, right when I started working for NFL.com. I came out and because uh, that's where NFL media headquarters are. And uh, uh, I was on a crutch at the time with a uh, bad ankle, bad foot forget what it was, bad something or other, and uh, hobbled into that Viper room on, a, on one crutch for you, Travis. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, not surprisingly, you, you 14, well. 15 years later, I'm back out here again and again hobbling on a, on a bad foot. Yeah, not a, not a crutch this time. This time it's an orthopedic boot, but enough of my problems. Uh, Alabama yeah. taking on Michigan in this one. And uh, speaking of problems, Travis, uh uh, some interesting comments from Alabama today in the 
the media availabilities really quickly. We'll touch on those. Isaiah Bond, the wide receiver, mentioning, uh, and he wasn't the only one, a couple of teammates more or less confirmed that players are watching film only in groups. They're not on their individual iPads looking at practice film uh, because of something related to uh, Michigan sign stealing. And, of course, on the other side, Jalen Milrow had some interesting comments about Bill O'Brien advising him at one point uh, to change positions. Your thoughts on uh, what's fallen uh, what's fallen out of those interviews today? Yeah, it's pretty newsy afternoon, um, late morning, I guess, out there in L.A. with the player interviews. Tommy Reese, he got hit with a couple of those, like, my name's Paul and that's between y'all. You know, it was yes. basically – his response to a lot of that, but man, I, you know, the cyber stealing aspect of this whole thing involving Michigan, even if it isn't entirely true, did you really think Nick Saban would take any chances if in fact that has been the procedural approach for Alabama in terms of preparation and film study and those things, you know, Nick's not going to take any chances. So uh, that was very, very interesting. And then Milrow's comments in relation to to Bill O'Brien. Been a tough stretch here for Bill O'Brien going from Alabama to the New England Patriots. It hasn't been a good year, as we know, for the Pats or Mac Jones or Bill Belichick or anyone involved. So uh, the hits keep coming for Bill O'Brien. And look, I'll say this about the Jalen Milrow situation. It's easy right now to take shots at Bill O'Brien given the way things have played out over the last couple of months. But I don't think Bill O'Brien was the only person who maybe had those thoughts about Jalen Milrow or maybe even had those type of conversations with Jalen Milrow. His comments seem to indicate that wasn't the only person he's ever heard that from. But again, you understand the fuel more and more for Jalen Milrow. And it just underscores again the tremendous confidence this guy has in himself. Yeah, his, his development's been phenomenal. And look, he, he's the best athlete on the football team as far as I'm concerned. So it's not it's not as if it's an outlandish suggestion for somebody that athletic. Hey, maybe your best shot in the NFL or your best future as a pro, maybe it is at a different spot when you're just a year into the program like Milrow was at the time, right? And uh, obviously by that point, hadn't developed a whole lot at the quarterback position. So uh, but I hear you. From Milrose's standpoint, absolutely, it's uh, it's gas on the fire, and uh, right now he's he's playing the best football of his of his life at the quarterback position. As for Isaiah Bond and the tablets thing, yeah, no doubt Nick Saban doesn't leave anything to chance for sure. Um, I, I wrote something up on it a little bit earlier at TuscaloosaNews.com, but. Um, Saban's not going to leave anything to chance from the Michigan side. It's just so hard for me to wrap my head around the possibility that something that nefarious could be going on in the wake of a three-game suspension for your head coach and a conference investigation. Now, that being said, every time you think you've heard it all in college football, college football tells you, no, you haven't. There's something crazier out there. Uh, but it, it, but what it, you got to remember, too, Chase – Jim Harbaugh has absolutely zero knowledge of yeah, any of this. Here with that. Yeah. Potentially <laughs> having even taken place, Chase. Any of it. Yeah, but but the linebackers coach gets gets thrown <laughs> under the bus for not cooperating for something that the head coach knows nothing about. Come on. I mean, that's uh 
it's an insult to the intelligence. Uh, it, it really is. But certainly it's uh, it's interesting stuff. And, you know, I, I if I were if, if one were to speculate how Alabama might have heard something about something going on that they might want to uh, look at George Hilo, right? Popped in there from Michigan right around the time, apparently, that they decided to start pulling the plug on these tablets. So, look, I'm certainly not saying there's a connection there, but if I, what's the Isbell line? Uh, um, I'm not one to judge, but if I was, you don't look so good. <laughs> yeah. I'd say you don't look so good. Yeah. There are, I would think there's multiple avenues that Alabama has been able to maybe pull some of that information from, like maybe some of Michigan's biggest rivals. Sure. Um, what is it? What is the saying? We're doing sayings now. Uh, a, a friend of my rivals is a friend of mine, or yeah. a friend of mine, whatever. I screwed that all up. But <laughs> no, I mean, it would make sense that in terms of being made aware of some potentially uh, harming situations from a preparation standpoint, uh, Alabama has has tapped into probably a lot of those. All right, on we go to nuts and bolts football. Alabama's offense against the Michigan defense. Travis, obviously Michigan comes in with, uh, I think, the number two ranked defense in the NCAA in terms of yards allowed per game, 239, 240 yards allowed per game. They're very tough on that side of the football. Um, I've watched every Michigan game over the last three weeks or so. I like Michael Barrett. He's one of their off-the-ball linebackers who does a great job. He's not the leading tackler, but I think he's the playmaker in that linebacking core, at least the inside guys. Uh, you got Mason Graham up front who brings a lot of upfield push, really not great moving laterally. We're not going to see Mason Graham making any stops on the perimeter, uh, but he's a tough physical guy who can throw guys – he can throw single blocks around. Uh, and and disrupt things in the running game, get some upfield push as well. First team, all Big Ten guy. Will Johnson in the second in the secondary at corner. You got the um, Sainer Steel guy at the nickel spot. It's a tough group. Yeah, and they've taken the football away on the back end at a very high clip, and they don't just take it away. They turn it into touchdowns. I think it's four interception returns for touchdowns for Michigan in that secondary Sainer Steel. Mike Sanistrill with two of those. He's kind of a nickel type of player. Uh, not the biggest guy, not the most physically imposing, but a veteran, a graduate student uh, who can make plays, no doubt about it. So, you know, I think for Alabama, the key is, like so many have said before us and we've said throughout the back half of the season, the continued improvement of this offensive line. I feel like at this point they're built for about whatever comes at them. You know, mm -hmm. after seeing Georgia, after seeing uh, some of the teams they saw in the Southeastern Conference, and really starting with Texas uh, there in week two, uh, it kind of revealed some real warts for that group that didn't exactly go away with compound W or anything like that in a short period of time. But they got those things fixed. I think that with the way Michigan plays, uh, it also helps having a Jaden Roberts uh, in there at right guard. You know, Jaden at times, sometimes his mobility is a bit of an issue, but I don't know if Michigan up front can expose that as much. If you just want to play what they are up front, yeah. You want to play bullet ball, you want to play strength on strength. Jaden Roberts is down with it. 
Now, you know, Seth McLaughlin at center, if you put somebody on his nose, maybe that could be a bit of an issue. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a it's a fun matchup. It's a fascinating matchup. I think both teams are going to try to get – both defenses are going to try to get that opposing quarterback into that 30-plus dropback mode. And I say mm-hmm. dropbacks instead of pass attempts because both these quarterbacks, Jalen Milrow, J.J. McCarthy, they could drop back 35 times and only throw it 25, 27 because – especially Jalen with his legs, you know, capable of getting out of the pocket, improvising and doing some different things. So uh, running back production, scrimmage yards, those type of things I think are going to be key in this game. And then not just in terms of the run game, but what can you get off of your run game? Even if you don't run it well, you might be able to get a lot of production off of things coming off of run action or your run game. What are you able to do with that? Some interesting comments from Tommy Reese today as well regarding the running game and and specifically Caden Proctor at left tackle. You know, he's in Reese's estimation, this is what he said today. He said, look, Proctor's been better as a run blocker probably all year long than anyone's given him credit for. He said pass blocking, yeah, he wasn't ready for the speed. Said it flat, he just was not ready for the speed uh, at the SEC level as a pass protector. But he said the Arkansas game was the light switch for Proctor. And remember, starting with the Tennessee game, that's when Proctor took over that left tackle spot full time. And we saw that platoon with Elijah Pritchett disappear. And, you know, Reese feels like at this point, uh, Proctor's become a strength for that offensive line when obviously in early September, he was the weak link. Yeah, and you look at the back half of the season, it kind of timed out too where maybe some of the more dynamic edge defenders rolled off the schedule. Now, I understand you know, when you look at LSU, you still got a guy there that can be problematic, but LSU didn't really use him that way throughout the season, down in and down out. But those first six or seven games, uh, James Pierce of Tennessee, Landon Jackson of Arkansas, uh, the guys from Texas. And that's kind of the way I look at this stretch run here. You know, when I look at Michigan, I look at the edge and I say, okay, who can hurt Alabama as an edge pass rusher? Uh, if, if you choose to take that approach. Now, if you're Michigan, you're going to say, look, we're not mm-hmm. going to be aggressive off the edge anyway with Milrow, because if we do that, we're opening up some run lanes for him. We're going to try to keep the pass rush depth where we want it to make him stay more in the cup and throw the football more from that position. And also, you said it. Michigan has a couple of really good inside linebackers that they're going to count on to help try to curtail that that yardage for, for Jalen when he runs. No doubt. Uh, offensively as well for Alabama, Travis, we've learned now that it looks like Jace McClellan is a go. A couple weeks ago when Alabama got started with uh, practice, Saban said that he wasn't quite ready, was uh, really in, in, still in rehab mode when practice started. Uh, but since then, apparently, uh, uh, a lot of improvement for him. Looks like number 22, excuse me, looks like number two is going to be a go. I think that's important, too, because I think he's got some make you miss and some wiggle to him. He can do some things outside of the scheme, maybe, that Roydell can't do as much. Jameer can do some of that, but Jameer, even with his speed, is more of a plant your foot in one cut type of guy whereas Jace can give you some of that in space. So very nice compliment to have in your back pocket in this game. Again, all the credit in the world to Roydell and Jam for the way they played against Georgia. But huh, 
it's absolutely a good thing if you've got Jace McClellan somewhere close to 100% or at least as close as he's been for quite some time. All right, Alabama's defense against the Michigan offense. We'll touch on that for a little bit right now. Obviously, Michigan's offense hasn't performed as well as out. And you know what? Alabama's in some ways kind of a mirror image that way. The strength, the defense is the strength for both of these teams. Uh, Michigan's offense, Travis, really struggled late down the stretch last month of the season or so, uh, starting in November. Schedule toughened up on them a little bit during that stretch, obviously. And, uh, you know, we saw this Michigan offense kind of kind of sputter, um, ended up scoring, I think, 26 against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, but Alabama's defense has got, I, I think, a pretty good opportunity to clamp down, uh, at least on the running game. And, you know, it's uh, it, it's fun. It's been fun watching some of these games. I like McCarthy. You know, a lot of people think McCarthy's just a guy. I see more than that. I, I, I think his game's pretty impressive. He's really athletic. He can get outside. He can extend plays. I think Michigan's receivers um, are not a whole lot to write home about. But if you can extend plays the way McCarthy can, get outside the pocket, be accurate on the run. He's very accurate on the run. Um, those guys can those guys can still hurt you the longer he extends those plays. Yeah, and that's why his health was to me such a big storyline leading up to this game because apparently the last month or so of the regular season he was dealing with a lower extremity issue that was limiting his mobility and his ability to run the football and I think for Michigan that's going to be imperative for the Wolverines if they're going to win this game uh, on Monday is McCarthy's going to have to supplement that run game and not just in terms of rush yards, but also help his pass protection. And I know that Michigan offensively from a staff perspective, if he is healthier than he was say against Iowa in the big 10 championship game, they're very much looking forward to moving him away from Alabama's edge guys, getting him off the spot by design and trying to help that protection. But you know, I don't see Blake Corum on his own doing it. Uh, he's a really solid college back. Uh, he's not dynamic. I mean, you look at his yards per carry numbers. That's more of a Donovan Edwards thing for Michigan. Uh, Donovan Edwards can catch it out of the backfield too. I don't think Blake Corms is going to be as much of a problem where things could get tricky for Alabama is if Edwards is able to do some things on the perimeter and then McCarthy's able to supplement, complement that with some design quarterback stuff, kind of like what Auburn was able to do in the Iron Bowl. I think that's – I'm sure that's something that the Michigan staff has, has spent a long time looking at and, and probably trying to impart on their own plan for New Year's Day. Edwards is the better athlete of the two. I, I don't think there's much question about it. Corum does not have the breakaway speed for sure. Um, I like his vision. I like his balance. Uh, he's one of those guys – uh, who's able to step out of a lot of tackles below the knees? Strong, um, but uh, he, he's uh, he's not going to beat Terry and Arnold in the foot race, right? We're no. not, we're not going to see that from from Blake Corum. Um, and of course, out the way Alabama handles that Michigan offensive line is going to play a big part in this. Um, Zach Zenter, who had been Michigan's best offensive lineman, he's out for the year, broke his leg against Ohio State. Um, so for the Big Ten championship game, 
they slid the right tackle to Zinter spot. And then they brought a kid, uh, Trente Jones, off the bench to play right tackle. I watched, I watched Jones through that his snaps in that game to see if he was exposed or if he was a vulnerability for Michigan at right tackle subbing in like that. And he was outstanding against all Iowa. He, he looked to me like a guy who had started all season long, uh, Georgia native, if I'm not mistaken, Trente Jones. And so that offensive line is big and tough. They can, they can do a good job. I like the center, really athletic guy, Drake Nugent. He's somebody that can get on linebackers and he can, he's got the, the footwork to, to do the reach blocks, right? Where, there's a guy on your right, and you got to get on his right for a play going right, uh, and and to the other side as well. Nugent's uh, Nugent's ability to 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 move around and and block in space, get on linebackers, all that it's, it's impressed me. It's a good line. Yeah, that's why guys like Tim Keenan, especially on early downs, are I think are going to be critical in this game. They have to force Michigan to account for them. You know, if it's not a double team coming at Tim Keenan, he needs to make Michigan pay for that. And I understand Nugent at that position, very, very good. So when you think about the Tim Keenans and the Tim Smiths and the Jaheim Otis's and the Damon Paynes and even Justin Aboigby more as a base end or a five technique, that's really where the game's going to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for this, for this game in general, as far as determining a winner, ultimately – is can Michigan get enough up front in that run game with its backs um, to kind of put itself in a in a good spot? It wasn't able to do that really against Iowa. I think what did I think two of uh, Michigan's touchdowns against Iowa? One was a punt return. One was a turnover deep right. uh, inside its own red zone by Iowa short field. So uh, it has the feel of a grinder. This game, you know, a game in which first to twenty four or so might win. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, typically when we think that it kind of goes the other way, you never know, you never know. It, it, it could end up being a shootout, I suppose, but I'm with you. I, I think these defenses are both going to show up in a pretty big way. Let's talk predictions. We don't do that a lot, Travis, uh, at all really in the regular season, but it's playoff time. So, uh, let's put it on the line. I like Alabama in this one. I like Alabama by a ten or more. I, I I think Alabama's and by the way, the spread I think is I think Michigan's laying one or I've seen it one, move one a and a half. Bit, but yeah. uh, I'm waiting yeah, on that late yeah. money. I, 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 yes, yeah, it'll be on the Alabama. Sharps, the sharps, as they call them. The big possum walks late, Travis. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at with the game too. I mean, I I've tried to question myself for a couple weeks now like you know what am I missing with this Michigan team but I don't see a Braylon Edwards on the outside I don't see a a Desmond Howard you know I don't see um you know one of the kind of backs that we've seen from from Michigan in the past good backs but I think kind of like what Alabama brings to the table uh I think the key again is going to be J.J. McCarthy and whether or not he can play at a Heisman level, because I think that's what it's going to take from Michigan. I think he's going to have to do it with his arm, with his legs. He's going to have to make everybody around him better. I know they love leveling the tight end. I know Roman Wilson's had a nice season on the outside, but again, I don't see a Jake Butt at tight end. I see a productive guy in Loveland, um, 
but I, I'm never I'm never going to bet against Alabama against a team that essentially wants to play phone booth football because right. how often has that been successful against Alabama in the past? You want to play 12 personnel? You want to play 23, 21, anything right. like that that is short of three wide receiver sets and a dynamic playmaker at quarterback? And I'm with you. I think J.J. McCarthy's a pro. I do believe that. But, you know, even with Deshaun Watson, Clemson had guys around him, and it, it took 59 minutes and, what, 59 seconds mm-hmm. plus for Clemson to beat that Alabama team. Am I saying 2023 Alabama's 2016 Alabama? No, I'm not. And the only thing that really gives me pause about Alabama in this game is that for a lot of these guys, this is a new thing, not just Jalen Milroe. And I know they've had a full season and they've settled in, but there was a ton of turnover with this team and they haven't been in this spot. So I think if they get through the first quarter, even in a zip, zip, seven, seven kind of game, I think ultimately, you know, Alabama with more explosiveness, more twitch, more talent across the board, will win the football game. Yeah, I like Alabama 24 to 13. That's, that's going to be my call. I can't get Michigan to 20 points. I can't in, in line. I can't get them to twenty. I can't. They'll either. probably and, score forty-eight now. And you but know, just looking at this thing going in, and I look at Iowa, and I know. Look again, McCarthy's health, things like that. Um, I look at some of these games, and it, it, it's like, I, how can I get? How can I get this team to twenty when Ole Miss scored ten against yeah. Alabama? You know, I mean, you're not tempo. You're not fastball. Um, you're not spread the field. You're not dynamic quarterback runner. Those are kind of the elements, right, that typically need to be checked for a team to to beat Alabama. And, oh, by the way, how many times have we seen Alabama lose in this spot in a semifinal? What, do you got to go back to the first one? Right. Yep. 2014 season? They don't lose in this spot. So I, I'm of that sort of I got to see it first. Hey, and if Michigan does it, all the – all the credit in the world, Chase, but I got to see it. I think the only way Michigan gets to 20, as you kind of noted, is if they get there the way they got there against Iowa. Kicking right? game, that's, takeaways, that's the only opportunistic way they, defense. Yeah, I, I think that's the only way they get to 20. And, and you know, you, your comments as far as the way Alabama can handle a bully ball offense, it's, it's impressive to me, Travis, that – Look, Nick Saban's recruited away from that. He's had to in the RPO era, right? You don't see the Terrence Cody's getting recruited anymore. You you don't, you know, he's still got big guys. He still likes a true nose guard for short yardage and goal line. Uh, And he'll he'll still bring in a true nose here and there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but, but he's recruited lighter guys at linebacker, guys who can run sideline to sideline more. And, and, and don't maybe necessarily play on their toes as much. I don't know as good as, you know, as good a linebacker as Reggie Ragland was for Alabama. He's, he was a play on your toes, upfield gap buster. I don't, know if, priest. I, I don't know if Nick Saban would have recruited Reggie Ragland now. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like he did back yeah. in the day. So, you know, so Reggie, was, Reggie was a good athlete. I mean, he was a hell of a basketball player. But I, I get your point in that when when you think about more of today's player, right? And um, even C.J. Mosley 
you know, CJ Mosley is that one linebacker that Nick's had who I feel like going back to 07 mm-hmm. all the way through, he would mm-hmm. still sign CJ Mosley today. Right. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And, and, and CJ was a decade ago now, which is crazy to think about. But I CJ get your had, point. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the, I guess the point that I've waited too long to even get around to uh, is that in spite of the fact that Saban has kind of recruited away from uh, the bigger, stronger fronts, they can still handle a team that wants to bully them like that, like Michigan. So They still you know, got a he, Tim Keenan. They still right. got a Jaheim Otis. They still got a five technique in Justin Aboigby who can take on your tackles or your tight ends or, you know, things like that. And again, and the mic will still come. For the mic, it's a want-to thing. And it's, you know? and it's how you go about doing it. You know, Auburn had success – because Auburn had two dynamic backs who could hurt Alabama on the perimeter. They did mm-hmm. a good job with their H's and their tight ends in the run game. No doubt about that. And then they incorporated the quarterback runs more in the second half. Did a super job. You know, I don't see Michigan doing that. They can mix in some tempo. Michigan doesn't do that. Michigan allows you to play situational football. You want to play some right. 2000 aughts football? Well, we'll do that on early downs. And if you want to, on second and third, play some 2020s mm-hmm. football, they give you time to sub. Yeah. Now, maybe they'll change some things in that regard. That's the big thing for me when I think about opponents, offenses, opposing offenses that Alabama is going to face. Are they fast? Because that's, right. that, that's like the three-point shot to me in basketball. It can neutralize some things uh, if you do that. It does, and and I I do think Alabama is going to be able to put this game on McCarthy's shoulders. I really do. I mean, look, they just stop. Not just in the quick game. Make him hold the football mm-hmm. on second, and third, and long to allow some things to develop, and then yeah. trust that your four man pass rush can get there. But if you need to bring an extra one, you can do that too, because on the outside, you should be able to lock these guys up. Mm-hmm. With Kool Aid McKinstry and Terry and Arnold, right? Yes, you should absolutely. If you want to bring an extra guy in some passing situations, you should be able to do it in this game with what with the matchups you got on the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, and Caleb as far Harris, as you, you put him on Loveland or whatever, and say, "Hey, we're right. going to get this guy." And to the as far as the run defense goes, we just saw Alabama do a really nice job on Georgia's running game, playing yeah. splits, playing split safeties for yeah. three plus quarters. Yeah, they didn't really load game. the box. No, they yeah. didn't load the box. So, look, if, if if they can handle Georgia up front against the run, uh, Georgia's a, longest run in that game came before Alabama made the adjustment to split safeties. There you it was go. a touchdown run on the first series. Right, right. I mean, if they could stop Georgia playing split safeties, I think they could stop Michigan running game wise. Can do the same to Michigan, you would think. Yeah. And, it, and if they can't, uh, you know, then you know maybe you do load the box a little bit. But I like well, that. Alabama that's where you had the luxury of your corners. If mm-hmm. you need to commit extra people to the run, you should be able to do that because of your corners. Yep. Um, if you need to bring an extra guy in the pass rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be able to do that because of your corners and your nickel defender, your star in Malachi Moore. You, you need to play man-to-man on Loveland with a safety. 
you should be able to do that some with Caleb Downs if that's what you need to do. Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. We're going to thank uh, a couple of sponsors really quickly here. We're going to start by telling you uh, about Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa in Government Square, 2256th Street. Hey, Frank Fleming and his staff do such a good job at Heat. They've got the outstanding pepperoni pizza. They've got the standard signature pizza that I love, the Thai chicken pizza, full bar, flat screens with all the big sports all over the place. You've got some excellent salads and appetizers and, of course, some great drink specials and daily pizza specials as well right over there at Heat Pizza Bar in Government Square, 2256th Street. I'm going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Sweet 16 is the champions of chocolate. That's right, since 2000. Seven, Peterbrook Chocolatier, a staple of the Tuscaloosa community. You're going to have that big spread for the Rose Bowl. I know you are. And you're not going to have a complete spread unless you have one of those chocolate footballs right there. you got to get one of those full-size chocolate footballs from Peterbrook Chocolatier. So many great snacks and treats for you as you navigate this bowl season. So many games coming up in the next few days. you got the NFL winding down as well. You're going to be watching a lot of football, a great companion for that viewing. Peter Brook, Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up podcast network, the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. Yeah, Travis, speaking of the NFL, what's going on with our Jags? I mean, just falling straight on their faces yeah. down the stretch here. What Free fall. Free fall. Just been ugly. It's it's not good, and it and what's really problematic is that you can't point to one area of that team and go, yeah, that's it, just fix that. You know, yeah. it seems like it's multifaceted, and it starts with Trevor Lawrence. And I'm not going to pick on him too much because he's had an ankle, he's had a concussion, he's now dealing with apparently a little bit of a shoulder issue. So, man, it's just such a long season in the National Football League. And it's really something we're about to start witnessing uh, at the FBS level, especially for these teams that are going to make it into the 12-team playoff. And you just right. wonder, by the time you get to even the semifinals of a 12-team playoff, what's going to be left of these teams? Because yeah. we see it in the NFL every year. Yeah, that depth, man, that, that too deep is going to be all the more important as that 12-game playoff opens up for sure uh, at the CFP. going to be a lot of twos on the field by the 15th, 17th week of the season or whatever it'll end up being. Yeah, and you say, well, at least in college you've got 85 scholarships. Well, well, how many of those guys are first-year players, though? It essentially knocks right. you down to the equivalent of a 53-man roster or so. Um, but that's also where the early enrollees are going to continue to be an important thing because of the attrition getting these signees on campus and in bowl practice like we've seen with Alabama, not just on campus, but traveling them to the bowl site and being able to go ahead and invest time in them uh, to try to expedite that process. You're going to need all those guys, I think, uh, as we get into this next era of college football. 19 mid-years in this Alabama class, Travis. What I think it was 20-plus last year. Yeah. yeah. That's just the way it is, you know? It's just like it's just like how National Signing Day really isn't February anymore. Mm-hmm. It's December. Well, you know, move in weekend really isn't 
end of May, early June. It's yeah. it's mid mid to late December now, and at the latest for a lot of guys, January one are the start of the the spring semester. So crazy. Texas, Washington, and that opposite CFP semifinal. Travis, I like the Longhorns to get the job done in that game. I th- so obviously, uh, my prediction is a Texas Alabama rematch for the national championship. That's what that's what I think we're going to end up seeing. I do like Washington. I like Penix. They've got a phenomenal receipt, couple of really good receivers. One especially um, that, that's every bit as dynamic, in my opinion, as as uh, uh, the worthy kid for Texas, who's given Alabama so much trouble the last couple of years. Your thoughts on this matchup? I got trust issues with Texas. I think when it was first announced, I was more along the lines of, yeah, I'll take the Longhorns. Didn't really think about it much, but it seems like as this game gets closer, I'm inching towards uh, Purple Rain, uh, Washington maybe in this one. I've got you know, Texas just uh, – it's another situation. Kind of like Michigan. I know it's a traditional power and uh, the helmet and the uniform and all that. But and I know the win over Alabama back in September. But oof, this looks like a spot where Texas could uh, really reassert itself as a true national power or just kind of fade off there. And I like Penix a lot. I like Penix over Ewers in that matchup. I have trust issues with Ewers too in this spot. Um, so I'll take the Huskies. I'll go a little bit different. And the biggest winner in all this, if Texas wins, is that Houston ticket man. I mean, oh, if the Longhorns get to Houston. Good bread. What about that Houston ticket? That Houston ticket man, he hadn't slept for a week already waiting on that Sugar Bowl game because he knows what that's going to be. I mean, what if he gets Washington, Michigan? He gets that Rose Bowl matchup. I'm going to put – I'm going to say the difference between a nosebleed seat – for Washington being in that game versus Texas being in that game, I'm going to say $250 difference at least for a nosebleed. For, for a nosebleed. Oh, no, get in. Just get in. Yeah. Just a get-in ticket. I, I I would go over that if Texas hmm. is in that because uh, they, they got the they got the. What case, do you think? What, what, what's the – yeah. It, it's, it, it's hard to guess, especially at these neutral sites. It's hard to guess – what the uh, what the market's actually going to bear? Um, you know, sometimes we see Travis if the wrong team is matched up in one of these semifinal games or even a championship game. Tickets can be cheap sometimes. I mean, yeah. dirt cheap, depending oh, on where it's at. You know, the Alabama Clemson game in Glendale that was at game time is cheap of a college football national championship game I think as you'll ever find, and that's too. Two strong fan bases, but out in Glendale, you know, out in Phoenix, right? Not so much. And even the Texas Alabama game in Pasadena, uh, in that national championship game, it started as just everyone rushing to to buy tickets and overpaying. And I think even as that game got closer, the prices dropped mm-hmm. significantly. Now the Rose Bowl seats, what close to a hundred thousand, or it did at the time. So you had inventory to start with. You had a lot of inventory. Right. I don't know uh, what the situation is in Texas, is, is Houston, as far as capacity. I'm going to guess 65, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that changes things a good bit, too, when you consider those things. 
All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Ran a little long for you with this Alabama-Michigan CFP semifinal preview. Uh, happy to do it. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of the Tuscaloosa News. Be sure to join us on the backside of this uh, CFP matchup between Alabama and Michigan. We'll break it all down for you next time right here on Talking Tide.